Welcome back to Devotional Thoughts with Pastor Dave Rogers, the weekly podcast where uh, I get the pleasure of sitting down with Pastor Dave uh, and, and learning as he digs through the scripture and we talk about things and where we're at. Uh, we're, we're just at the beginning of uh, our, our walk through the book of James. Um, the last few episodes have been through chapter one, and now... We're into chapter two. Welcome back to the studio, Dave. How are you? Thank you, Craig. I'm fine. Awesome. And uh, risking sounding like a mutual admiration <laughs> society, I always consider it a privilege to come in here and sit and talk with you for a little while. So uh, I look forward to what we're going to be getting into today as we open up chapter two. Excellent. As we do so, I just want to uh, remind the listeners that uh, uh, it's important to remember the, the context of the scripture. Uh, everything that we read in Scripture was written to a particular need, to a particular people or an audience at that time. And by extension, we benefit from it today because the Word of God is timeless. But uh, to truly appreciate it, we need to appreciate a little bit of what preceded the writing of the letter. As we look at the, the book of James, we remember that he wrote it to the early church. And uh, we we remember... and. These facts are based upon the book of Acts, that following the birth of the church, there was a period of explosive growth with thousand, uh, thousands of people coming to the faith. Uh, most of the followers of Jesus were still living and worshiping in Jerusalem. James, the author of the letter, was the leader of the Jerusalem church. In Acts chapter 8, we, we read about the stoning of Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church, and uh, one of the first deacons of the early church. And after his stoning, uh, a, a period of persecution arose up uh, against those who were Christ followers, and many of them left Jerusalem, fleeing to the surrounding regions and nations. However, James continued to have a heart for the the people who he had served as their leader, uh, as their pastor. He continued, in fact, as the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And that burden that he felt for them compelled him to write this letter of encouragement to them as they had been dispersed to the surrounding nations. And so with that background, uh, let's now consider the encouragement and the instruction that he gave to these early church members. As we do so, let's remember that there's uh, truth for us to glean from these writings, truths that are applicable to us today. And uh, I especially think uh, chapter 2 is, well, I think the entire epistle is, is very applicable to us, but he, he deals with some very uh, very practical matters here today. So uh, let's look at uh, what he's uh, speaking to us here. He's giving a warning to the church about favoritism. And so we're going to start with uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read uh, 13 verses here as a backdrop for what I'm going to share. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. He says, My brothers and sisters, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and is dressed in bright clothes, and a poor man in dirty clothes also comes in, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the bright clothes and say, You sit here in a good place, 
and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with, with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich that oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the good name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as violators. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, has become guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a violator of the law. So speak, and so act, as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As we look at this, we, uh, we note immediately that James identifies the recipients of the letter as he addresses himself both to the men and the women who were a part of the early church. In this segment of uh, his letter, he speaks to an issue which has been a problem in society for ages, and that's the problem of favoritism. The favoritism he addresses is based on one's appearance and perceived social standing. This was an issue which Jesus also faced as people took him to task for associating with people, uh, I like the way some of the scriptures call it, of low reputation. Let's 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 look at several of those passages uh because listen they were ruthless with Jesus yeah. uh because of the people he associated with in Matthew chapter 9 verses 10 through 13 uh Matthew wrote then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house behold many tax collectors and sinners came and began dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Now go and learn what this means. I desire compassion rather than sacrifice, for I did not call the righteous but sinners." Again, in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39, we read, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to eat with him. And he enters the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head and began kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. 
Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And then Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. We read, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then, of course, that very familiar passage, Luke chapter 19, verses 5 through 7. And when Jesus had come to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Verse 7 says, When the people saw this, they all began to complain, saying, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Do you see (laughs) that Jesus also dealt with this issue? And so James, knowing what the Lord had gone through, is warning the early believers about the sin of favoritism Mm. and warning them to guard against it because it's, well, let's just call it what it is. It's judgment of Mm. another person. And it's a judgment that is based upon uh, appearance only. Too often, the attention one receives is based on outward appearance. People are drawn to those that they perceive can elevate their social standings uh, or have the ability to open the door of opportunity to different groups of associates. Mm. Uh, You know, after uh, having a career as a pastor of uh, over 40 years, Uh, I wish that I could tell you that everyone that comes to the church comes there with a genuine desire to find (laughs) love, to find acceptance, and to find forgiveness in the the fellowship (laughs) of the body of Christ. Unfortunately, I've witnessed over the years those who have looked at the body of Christ as an opportunity. (laughs) Rather than as a fellowship, they see it as an opportunity. Some see it as an opportunity to conduct business, and they view the congregation as being a pool of potential Mm. customers. Sadly, I've witnessed, as James warned the early church, that those who came in with great flourish and fanfare turned on the very people they exploited once they could no longer benefit from the association. Mm. And that's the warning that he's giving about those who come in. They have the appearance of success. They have a perceived power or influence in society. And uh, we tend to gravitate toward them. Uh, And let's let's admit that they may not be the only ones who have selfish motives. Uh, They may open up a different strata of society to us. Mm if we can befriend them and become part of their inner circle. There's great danger in that, and that's what James is warning against. Conversely, some of the most wise, some of the most compassionate, the most Christ-like people I've met in the church 
were those who didn't attract attention to themselves by their dress and their social status. They might not have been rich in the wealth of the world, but they were rich in the knowledge of the Word of God and the application of the Word of God to their life. They had a practical wisdom for daily living. And, and when we get into chapter uh, 3 and chapter 4, we're going to be dealing with practical wisdom. So uh, we'll explore that further. But as I think of these people, the love that they had for people wasn't based on a desire to climb the social ladder. Rather, it was based on their desire to elevate the lives of others through the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. One of the men who most profoundly impacted me as I was growing up was a man that I knew as Brother Smiley. My father was a pastor and uh, this was uh, one of the churches that he pastored and uh, Brother Smiley was the full-time janitor uh, at that, uh, that church. He was a gentle man, and uh, if you happened to come by the church during the course of the week, uh, you would find him doing routine custodial work. He may be mopping fellowship hall, sweeping uh, the hallways uh, in the Christian education wing. Uh, he may be mopping the floor in the kitchen vacuuming the sanctuary. You might find him washing windows or cleaning the restrooms. Uh, you may find him uh, straightening the hymnals in the pews and picking up the bulletins and papers uh, which were left behind after the service or maybe something as uh, ordinary as simply emptying the wastebasket. He was a humble man. If you saw him, there was nothing about him that would attract your attention. Uh, other than when I, when I think of him now, uh, and remembering we're talking back in the early 60s here, <laughs> uh, he had hearing issues. And so he had hearing aids that were actually built into the bows of his glasses. And so the bows of his glasses were were enormous, wow. very, very thick. Uh, and the hearing apparatus uh, was uh, built into either side, and uh, then it had a, a very large, cumbersome tube mm -hmm. that ran down into the ear so he could hear. But otherwise, there was nothing about him that was distinct, uh, that would draw the attention to others. But let me tell you about Brother Smiley, if I may. He was more than a janitor. He was a teacher of the Word of God. And he was the teacher of my fifth grade Sunday mm. school class. Now, I don't know <laughs> if, if you can remember back to what you were like in fifth grade. Perfect. What are you talking about? Uh, yes, we were perfect. <laughs> we were perfectly obnoxious. Uh, out of control. You know, we, we thought we knew everything about life. And uh, I'm talking 10 years of age, you know, uh, we're housed in a 10-year-old body, but we've got the wisdom, the sterling wisdom of a 12-year-old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we think we're the masters of our universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, energetic, uh, 
focused on everything other than the task at hand. And this gentleman was our teacher. But you know what he did? He captivated us with his love of the scriptures, with his ability to teach the lessons, to grasp our hearts and our minds. And I can tell you of a certainty that that room full of uh, 12 to 15 fifth grade boys sat there and soaked it in. Mm -hmm. uh, he was just such a fascinating man and such an excellent teacher. He was one of the best, most influential people in my spiritual journey. Mm. Now, conversely, I remember individuals who came in to the church with with great flourish, you know, and again, looking at it from a, a point of view of a teenager, whether it be an early teenager or going all the way up into being a young adult. These people would come in and uh, they would have the look mm -hmm. of success. Uh, perhaps they pulled up in a, a nice, very nice car and it had all of the latest uh, gadgets on it and options and, and uh, it just smacked of success. But I remember and I, I saw the church through my father's eyes. I remember some of the problems that uh, he had to deal with uh, from these folks. Uh, as again, people, as I said earlier, people who wanted to exploit the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, uh, in today's society, uh, there are many who look at the church as a uh, bastion of uh, uh, single women. And so uh, <laughs> let's go to the church and see if we can pick up a date. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and it's not it's not what it appears to be on the surface. And, and so the warning that we are receiving here is very, very timely. You know, as I have thought back over the course of my ministry, uh, I've dealt with those who had the appearance of success and those who were, were very humble. And give me a room full of humble people any mm -hmm. day of the, the week because you can build the body of Christ up on the genuineness of their faith, the gentleness of their spirit, their love of Jesus Christ. They remember that they were a, a sinner in need of grace when they encountered Jesus, and they want to point others to the same truth that they have found. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have also dealt with individuals who didn't want to point people to the truth, but wanted to use people for their own monetary gain mm -hmm. or their own social gain. And so when I think of James' teaching here, it comes down to a simple phrase for me. And that phrase is this, favoritism is sin. Mm. Favoritism is unacceptable in the body of Christ because what is being done is judgment is being made and the judgment is based on appearance, not on the quality of the heart. And so, church, let's avoid favoritism. It has no place in the body of Christ. Yeah. Well, that's kind of cutting. Thanks a lot. <laughs> 
It is so easy though. I mean, we find ourselves. Oh, you you know you you roll in and you're kind of a a big wig in the community, or you you know you're you have the nice car, you have the stuff. It's clear that you carry yourself in a way that's um, affluent. It's easy to fall into the trap of oh they must be they must be more valuable than the other people who don't do those things, and that that is a, a good reminder that that's not uh, outward appearance is not. Uh, that's not it. So true. Thanks, Pastor Dave. <clears throat> Hope you come back next time. This is Devotional Thoughts with Pastor Dave Rogers. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. We will see you next week. Um, I hope you have a great Easter. That is this weekend. Yes. I uh, <laughs> forgot to mention it when we started. Wow. But <laughs> Easter's here. Already. Let's celebrate and uh, hang out with your family. Have a great weekend. <laughs>